Our staff has the time and ability to research and become experts in a specific domain that a teacher of the visually impaired or orientation and mobility specialist simply does not have the time to specialize. There's just expected services, but then I also think it's the unique and kind of random needs that pop up here and there that we so I think the outreach department is just again that extension that arm that allows us to touch as many students as possible. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. While it's possible to make progress on our own, as educators we know that the greatest advances are made with company gaining from mutual experience and adding to a growing knowledge bank that allows endless withdrawals for everyone. That's why, once a year, outreach directors from around the country gather to share their ideas, learn from each other, and gain new perspectives. And though they all have a common purpose, the success and independence of our kids, every state brings such unique approaches to serving our students. And each of those approaches can be refined and expanded with ideas from others. It's always a good idea to get as many good brains as possible working on a solution. To give you a taste of the complexity of our work, we're bringing you a roundtable discussion from the May 2019 Council of Schools and Services for the Blind Outreach Forum held at the Washington State School for the Blind. This was a great excuse for me to sit with my colleagues and dive into a free-ranging conversation about what we do. I think the recording of our Hangout may provide you with some fresh perspectives. How would you, in a sentence or two, define outreach services or what it means to be an outreach provider? I'm Dawn Soto. I'm the outreach director at the Wisconsin Center for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I believe that outreach may have been like had its start in Wisconsin. Oh. Which is exciting. Yes. And I believe that the job of vision professionals is a big one mm -hmm. and that the responsibility of an outreach team is really to support all of those needs that the vision professionals have in the field and to be the extra supports that not only they need for their students but also for families and stakeholders. My name is Brandon Watts and I'm the Director of Outreach Vision Services with the Utah School for the Deaf and the Blind. Outreach Services allows students who are blind and visually impaired to go to their neighborhood schools where before they would have to go to a school for the blind and sometimes that would take them away from their home setting for extended periods of time but where it's more appropriate for them to be with their peers according to the least restrictive environment, Outreach Vision Services allows the student to go to their neighborhood school and receive support from a teacher of the visually impaired to get the support that they need to be successful in school. I'm Adrian Amandi. I'm the director of the Education Resource Center at the California School for the Blind. In California, we are a consultation um, and training model, and I think that what our outreach services provide is an ability for our staff to specialize in areas such as assessment, assistive technology, low vision, 
um, where our staff has the time and ability to research and become experts in a specific domain that a teacher of the visually impaired or orientation and mobility specialist simply does not have the time to specialize and become expert in. So it gives us and our staff the capacity to share new knowledge with, with the field. I'm Tiffany Sanders and I'm the Outreach Director at the Indiana School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I think it's also an opportunity to kind of extend some of the programs and services that the schools have and support the Schools for the Blind and to kind of spread those throughout the state and just be somewhat of an arm or extension of those services. I'm Julie Johnson. I'm the Outreach Coordinator at the New Mexico School for the Blind and Visually Impaired. For New Mexico, part of our mission statement of our school is that every student with a visual impairment or blindness in our state will be receiving appropriate services. So outreach is kind of the extension of our school that tries to reach um, and support the districts all over the state to make sure the kids are that need services are receiving services. And 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 like you said, Tiffany, too, it, it helps them they, without having to officially ever come to our campus to utilize some of the programs and, and activities that we do to supplement what they do in their districts. I'm Cindy Williams. I'm the coordinator of student programs at North Dakota Vision Services School for the Blind. In North Dakota, we have eight regions in our state and we have six outreach teachers and providing those services involves working with ages birth through graduation from high school. And that's um, going into the homes and working with the families, working with related services such as PTOT, going into the schools and consulting with them. In a nutshell, that's what it is. I'm Tanya Armstrong. I'm Director of Programs at the Nebraska Center for the Education of Children Who Are Blind or Visually Impaired. I think it's meeting the needs of whatever anybody needs statewide. I mean, it's just kind of, you don't know what somebody somebody's gonna want or need until the phone rings, the emails come. I mean, yeah, we know the, the stuff that happens on a regular basis, and we do provide some direct service, a lot of consultation, professional development, that kind of a thing, because a lot of our districts in our state have their own TVIs, O&M, and then there's a few that don't. So once in a while, we'll get that call for um, an assessment from a district that doesn't um, typically need our services, but we have to go out and do this kind of random assessment. Or I'll get an email about special ed compliance and, hey, can you help me write this IEP goal? And Or I have this idea, but I don't know how to make it measurable. Can you help me? So, you know, I think there's just the expected services, but then I also think it's the unique and kind of random needs that pop up here and there that we just meet people with what they need and where they're at. And I am Pam Parker, um, Outreach Director at Washington State School for the Blind and State Vision Consultant with Washington State Sensory Disability Services. Some of our schools, if you have a school for the blind, go to the School for the Blind. Some of them stay in their home districts and that's where our outreach teachers come in and will provide those services within, the, within their home districts. I like how Indiana has coined the term the third arm approach mm -hmm. to outreach services. <laughs> uh, they always can reach out to a place in need. What we were talking about, and I think we talked about this at APH too, is just kind of shifting the focus and it's serving students, you know, and we're serving the students, all of our students, and not just supporting the kids that, that attend the schools for the blind or just the kids that are out in the state, but it's basically a way to touch all students, which is ultimately our goal, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the outreach department is just 
again, that extension, that arm that allows us to touch as many students as possible. With technology leveling the playing field for our kids, mm -hmm. our outreach departments are able to go out and help kids mainstream into their general education classrooms and integrate better than they would on their own. Mm -hmm. We know some schools for the blind have closed down in some states and some people may feel that outreach replaces the need for a school for the blind. What would you say to that? Having served as a resource room teacher in a large district and an itinerant teacher in a very rural area and then teaching at the residential school before becoming outreach director, I see that I look at our outreach in Wisconsin as supporting not only the professionals out in the state, but also the professionals at our residential school. I think it's the onus of outreach to serve kids where they are on that wide continuum of placement. And sometimes it might be at the residential school and the next year the IEP team may determine that the best place is out in the home district and that it really should be looked at every year and the IEP team should decide where the placement is and that sometimes least restrictive for our students may or may not be what the rest of the educational programs look at least restrictive to be. But I see outreach as the support for all so that what is offered at a residential school is is vital and rich and oftentimes um, not known, mm -hmm. even within states, misunderstood in many ways. I think least restrictive environment is an important notion there too, Absolutely. and that mm -hmm. sometimes that social and emotional well-being is a strong continuum and part of a least restrictive environment, and a residential placement or a placement with other students with a similar disabilities creates a safe social and emotional space for them to be in their actual least restrictive environment. And as long as our schools don't always bring kids in from K through 12 and we attempt to have a revolving door willing to send them back to their districts, like you just said, I think we, we are the best programs in mind. I think as our outreach has gotten more active around the state, what we're seeing is our enrollment on our campus also slowly increasing because more families are now aware of options. We, we encourage them to come for a short time a semester to a year to two years and then we our focus is to return and you know maybe at a later point when needs change they can return again for some other set of skills that they're working on but it's still very relevant and we're I'm seeing a, a, like a steady increase of kids and families that are um, very interested in in you know as a residential student coming to our campus just because of the full you know the the expanded core curriculum but then it's the athletics in the key club and the stuff that a lot of times they're not included in within their inclusion setting right well and which is that's what the vital piece is is mm -hmm. just making sure that the school there's always going to be a place for schools for the blind and mm -hmm. that place is to be part of the continuum and to provide options right. and when we start taking those options away then we're taking away the you know mm -hmm. that continuum so in utah that the campus director always jokes that she's trying to teach herself out of a job because she wants the, the students to come and gain the skills they need, the intense vision support that they need, so they can go back to their districts with the skills that they've developed and maintain them and learn new things from the teacher of the visually impaired. So I think that having schools for the blind is still very relevant. I think through really great outreach services, sometimes when it is appropriate for a student to be in our school-based program, then as outreach providers we help to support the center-based program and then um, kind of flip side when we've got kids in our school program and they're ready to transition back to their home district 
then outreach services can help to prepare that home district for receiving the student back. So I think they gel really well together. It's, it's a collaborative effort. I don't think one will replace another. I think both are needed because, because there's just always going to be such a continuum of students and their needs and staff and their needs. At least here in, in Washington, I don't think the idea is that you send a school or a child to the school for the blind and they're going to stay there. It's usually for a short-term piece, and at the school it's 24-hour IEP, but which, so it, it's an opportunity to get some really good skills in to be able to send the student back to their home school. And I think it's very individualized in North Dakota. We no longer have a residential program. Mm -hmm. However, there are those students who need a residential program. Yeah. And the residents of North Dakota have gone elsewhere to receive that residential oh. program. I love what you're saying about the residential school and our outreach programs, but also relating it back to outreach programs and the districts we serve, that we're really creating a partnership, that by having the means of having specialists, we are creating the opportunity for them to call us and say, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't have the resources, I don't have the community around me to find the answers. I expect you as the School for the Blind and the Outreach Division to have the resources or at least the time to research and they're asking us for a partnership and we are mm -hmm. we are part of their continuum whether we're the regular the school-based setting or the outreach services um, and I think that you, you said the same thing both with partnership for the school-based and outreach and the partnership between outreach and local education agencies. And one of the things we're going to start um, being more intentional about this upcoming school year is we're going to formalize, I guess, a process of that transition back to the home district. So we haven't actually, you know, written it down or, <laughs> you know, done something like that in the past, and we probably should have, but we haven't. So, you know, we'll never, never too late to start something new, but really talk about when you enroll the student in a center-based program, who usually comes from outreach, so you've already got some familiarity with that student and their family. It's then making that plan initially to to go back to and how that's going to work. You know, you could say that educating kids with visual impairments is a bit like Swiss cheese. <laughs> you could say that. Please <laughs> explain a little more. Like the Outreach Forum's annual tradition of a cheese tasting competition, <laughs> educating a kid with visual impairments, there's obviously holes in their comprehension of full range of education, and a school for the blind can fill in those holes, creating something like aged cheddar. <laughs> Only Adrian can say That's something so stupid and so profound at the same time. So in outreach, we have a unique opportunity to engage with families, I think. Do you think that's an important aspect of what we do? And what maybe do your states do for family interaction? Oh, I think that is a huge component of outreach, engaging with the families. That was one of my favorite parts of outreach working with the families and developing that relationship and rapport, making them feel comfortable, meeting their needs, working with them in their home. And then in North Dakota, every year we have what we call a family weekend and families can come and you know bring, bring the whole gang and we have training and just um, families have time to visit with other families and I think that's just so important. In Utah, our expanded core curriculum coordinator, Robin Clark, has created a PTA for parents in Utah oh, where they cool. come together in person or through Zoom, done monthly. They call it the ECC PTA. Oh, Ooh. oh I like that. I like the expanded core curriculum PTA. I like that. 
We might have to steal it. Do it. <laughs> do what you do, Texas. Yeah. Do what you do. <laughs> I think for us, that's a goal we have in a in an area that we feel like we're not hitting the mark quite yet and that's something we're talking about a lot is how to support families more and so like in our newer strategic plan we're doing some of the early objectives we have is reaching out to parents to find out what is it you need more of statewide not focusing so much on our students but um, students out there to figure out how to how to support families all over a pretty large state that's pretty rural in between um, in between cities and we're not there but it's it's definitely a, it's a need it is so critical to meet the needs of parents but it's hard it's hard for families to find that time yeah. to want to travel to us for a workshop or even if we go to them to give up a couple hours an afternoon a day or whatever so we're always looking for new creative ways to meet the needs of parents because we know that that's a priority for us we want it to continue to be a priority but it's getting creative with with how we meet their needs and I also love and think it's our job in outreach to connect the parents on a really individual basis and of course we have to be careful of confidentiality and all that but I think too when you've got a really great parental support of a student and they have a specific condition so we had a student recently diagnosed with ushers and so knowing that they are really craving that information from another parent perspective and what what should I expect and what should I ask for for services and how should I prepare for what's maybe to come in the future. It's knowing kind of in our repertoire of, you know, a parent database, hey, there's another parent in another area of the state who a few years ago went through a similar thing, so it might be my job to take on contacting this other parent and saying, hey, so there's a family newly identified. Would you be okay with me sharing a phone number, an email, something that they could get a hold of you? And, and most often, as you well know, mm -hmm. the answer is, of course, share my information. So I think some of that just parent-to-parent -parent connection we're able to do, too, on a really individual basis. In Wisconsin, we've added um, to our outreach service request that families can request um, a visit or a remote type of a communication with our two parent liaisons and those individuals are also blind professionals and successful in their work and so by having that model and then also being able to sort of request the service we can continue to demonstrate through data that the need exists and that families have some of that unique connectedness for specifically what they would ask for almost like a TBI might need this little remediation or support in Braille instruction. That's an area we probably could definitely work on, but I think we now are just kind of using organic opportunities to get families together and network. You know, things like camp experiences and competitive uh, programs like the Braille Challenge and Cane Quest and things like that. Those are the opportunities that we use to bring families together and then provide that networking to make sure that there's, you know, opportunity for them to get together after. But I think developing something like an ECC PTA even would be that would be amazing. We're all going to steal that idea, Brandon. True. In California, we do regional parent nights. Um, so we set them up with the teachers in specific districts or counties. And we talk about the expanded core curriculum. We talk about specific topics within the expanded core curriculum. From that, one of the things we found successful is from the School for the Blind's perspective, we just provide someone to speak or someone to show up. But we support the county and the districts to have 
an annual get-together, an annual social. Um, and we found that districts and counties that maintain that year after year after year in the same time of the year with the same pizza and soda pop or something that's consistent for the families, that the families are more likely to come together. And their bonding together and socializing brings a lot of uh, education within themselves of finding out about resources and they bring up different questions that they weren't ready to ask. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing our work within outreach? Teacher shortage. Mm-hmm. It's a big one. Just trying to keep up with some of the new trends, the cortical visual impairment and all my teachers are always asking, am I doing this correctly? And I, I think because they're out there by themselves, not having that connection with somebody else and you know looking in the classroom next door going look they're doing it this way and making sure that we're supporting the team so that they understand and have things they need and and feel secure and because sometimes they're like their own island right, right? they're right. serving there don't know if they're doing it right yeah. or wrong mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. afraid to ask they get to yeah. the place where they're even afraid to ask mm-hmm. technology i think mm-hmm. is another big mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. keeping up on everything that's coming out and being knowledgeable about all that and constantly learning. We're all Uh constantly learning. For sure. When you want a resource for whatever it is, um, a piece of technology or CVI or a strategy for you name it, it's being able to pull up something that I can pull up and look at in a minute or two, Mm -hmm. get a little nugget of information Mm -hmm. and then take it and Mm -hmm. use it right away. It's being able to just have kind of instant, Mm -hmm. quick information because that's what we've got time to do right now. We become excellent at researching. Yeah. Well, sometimes I feel like I'm a, a sleuth. Good sleuthing, I tell myself yeah. all the time. <laughs> tell your job. <laughs> I think the number one thing that sticks out for me is just the lack of uniformity. I mean, it, it, even within our state and nationwide. Like so how our service models are all service different. Service models and are different. Yeah. Your, yeah, your processes within your, your district are different. And... Um, how to access the information about the students, you know, service delivery. There's so many variances of how you can get from, you know, being a TBI to the end goal of, you know, giving your student the, the skill set to be successful. There's so many different ways you can get there. And amongst all of us, we all kind of have the same job, but it's done so many different ways. It's partly the shortage of VI professionals available. We've changed and we're constantly kind of um, evolving our model to try to meet the need, okay, so we stop doing all this direct service so that they'd all get, well, that's not quite working for all the, some of these really small places, so now we are doing a little bit of direct service and trying to constantly gauge what's going on in, in the state mm-hmm. and then figure out how to take my same little team of people and go out there and somehow try to meet, meet this need that I don't know that we have a great handle on what the answer is, you know, to make sure these kids are getting what they need basically out there. I think another issue that we face is the transitioning our students to adulthood. You know, we take care of the student all through their schooling, we provide great support to them and they have a great school experience, but then when they go to college or when they go out and try to get a job and the TVI is not there anymore to advocate for them and maybe they weren't given proper advocacy um, opportunities, then they have a hard time and some of them, you know, completely drop out of college when they're completely capable of succeeding and being successful in college. 
I see that as, as a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, transition's hard, right? Mm-hmm. And partnering with the adult services agencies in our states because they're different models. And I often would say that <clears throat> as a teacher of the blind, and I am not an O&M specialist, but as a teacher of the blind, if I, if I got to the point where I felt I knew this entire field and was like the rock star of it, I'd better leave because there is so much to know that it's, it's inevitable that you don't know everything you need to know. And in most fields, I believe, um, it diminishes the efficacy of the person who's doing the job and it can be, it can feel defeating Mm -hmm. when you don't feel that you know everything. You don't want to put it out there that you don't know everything. And so I think mentoring, not only for our vision professionals, but for families and students themselves. In response to your statement that it's a problem that we're not all on the same type trajectory or the same type system, Mm -hmm. I think that change of the number of students who had ROP is now, now, nowadays are students who have CVI. This field is constantly changing, Mm -hmm. whether it's in the type of visual impairments we deal with or the technology that we approach them with. And I think our different applications and types of education helps us when we get together with forums like the Outreach Forum or the principals or the superintendents clubs. And it gives us the opportunity to learn from each other and be creative amongst our own groups and then bring it back to a national forum where we can steal from each other the ideas that make sense for our own students and continue to be creative. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? they may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Sitting down with these folks informs my work but it also confirms my perception of our field and assures me that it's in good hands. Deep thinkers, big hearts, dedicated professionals, and tons of humor. Conversations like this inspire me to be a better educator and especially inspire me to recruit more individuals to our field. We're only made better by adding great brains to our cause. But beyond that, seriously, who wouldn't want to hang with this crew on a daily basis? From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.